0: Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. If you aren't receiving my weekly email newsletter, go to unchainedpodcast.com to sign up. And don't forget that Unchained and Unconfirmed are now on YouTube. You can go subscribe there to be alerted to all the latest episodes of
1: both podcasts. CypherTrace cutting-edge cryptocurrency intelligence powers anti-money laundering, blockchain analytics, and threat intel. Leading exchanges, virtual currency businesses, banks, and regulators themselves use CypherTrace to comply with regulation and to monitor compliance. For a
0: lot of crypto fans, it's hard to find one place where you can trade, plan, and discuss crypto strategy get started with eToro and the world's number one social trading platform. Today's guest is Nick Tameno, general partner of One Confirmation. Welcome, Nick. How's it going? You just raised a $45 million fund, your second, with your first fund raising $26 million and launching all the way back in August 2017, which was the year of cryptomania. What was it like trying to raise in this market versus in 2017?
2: Yeah, it was much more difficult, I'd say. You know, in 2017, I think most investors had FOMO. Um, They had seen uh, a massive rise in prices. And, um, you know, if you could get in front of family offices or individuals, mostly not institutions in 2017, but there was a lot of demand for people that just wanted exposure to crypto because of FOMO. So I would say it was really easy in 2017 to raise. And it was much more difficult, uh, this time around. Uh, although I did have uh, strong support from my existing LP base, uh, which I really benefited from. So I think if I had to, uh, raise from a completely new base of investors, it would have been, you know, even more difficult. Um, but, you know, I, I did have a really strong group of initial investors that kind of, uh, saw, uh, what I've done over the past two years. And I basically kind of executed how I said I was going to execute. And I think they're generally happy with, you know, my communication and, and, you know, the signs in the portfolio so far. So I got a lot of support, uh, there. Um, but yeah, definitely a different environment.
0: And were the types of LPs different, like in terms of kind of the interest of the type of investor?
2: Yes. Uh, well, yeah, much more, um, I would say fund two is larger LP, uh, types of LPs, right? So for my first fund, I had a much lower minimum and a, a higher number and, you know, more individuals and things like that. Fund two is, um, you know, a few fund of funds and some family offices. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, more institutional, although not, um, you know, the big institutions, uh, in, not many of the big institutions. I think it, my, my general take from th- this fundraise was that it's still very early for uh, for most big institutions. So.
0: And uh, so what have you been investing in so far and what will you focus on in this fund? Uh,
2: so fund one, uh, you know, our general thesis uh, as a fund is invest in products that the crypto community wants and needs. And so I'm you know a crypto native user uh you know I got involved in the space I was one of the first uh, 100 or so users of Coinbase and then uh started working at Coinbase so I'm just kind of uh, always um you know trying new crypto products and think I have uh you know a good feel for uh the crypto kind of community and so that's really what I focus on you know there's a lot of Uh, VCs out there that want to see blockchains uh, applied to supply chains or to -to bank-to-bank transfers or things kind of outside of crypto. And that stuff may work, um, but I don't have a really good feel for that stuff. It's kind of out of my uh, comfort zone and expertise, and I think what I have a good feel for is kind of this crypto-native stuff. So that's very much what uh, you know. The, what we like to invest in these products that are solving problems for the crypto community. And I think within the crypto community, there's two types of, of users. There's the um, you know the crypto believer, um, you know, and the, and there's a developer. And so if you look at our existing portfolio, pretty much everything that we've invested in is solving a problem for you know those two types of of end users.
0: So I totally understand like why that's your focus and um, you know wh- how that also plays your strength um, but one thing I would say is that I feel like, uh, what we're seeing at least this year is that the companies and organizations that are interested in crypto have branched out quite a bit since 2017. Here we've got like Facebook trying to launch its own stablecoin and this week backed, which has the backing of the Intercontinental Exchange, Starbucks, Microsoft's Venture Arm, etc. They launched their futures product and we even had uh, the Bank of England governor proposing a global digital currency. So what do you make of those developments? And I, I mean, it sounds like it hasn't really affected your investment thesis, but I'm curious to know what impact you think those things will have on the crypto space.
2: Yeah, well, well I love to see that stuff, to be clear. I think that's all very positive for, uh, you know, for the cryptocurrency ecosystem and kind of, you uh, you know, gaining more understanding and acceptance from the mainstream. Um, but I would say I'm uh, pretty skeptical of kind of large institutions uh, launching uh, cryptocurrency initiatives that that really um, impact the space in a meaningful way in the long term. And there's a few reasons for that. But but generally speaking, I think you know the public. Uh, first and foremost, and the media also kind of overestimates the importance of, uh, institutional, uh, you know, projects and kind of underestimates the importance of, you know, small teams that, uh, are working on, on completely new ideas. Um, so, you know, we can get into any of those projects in particular, but, uh, generally speaking, I think, um, you know, my belief is that this, you know, the cryptocurrency movement is very much a grassroots kind of bottoms up movement that's at the end of the day, very disruptive to large institutions. And that's why I think innovators dilemma and, and lack of focus are kind of two uh, major hurdles that, uh, you know, that any institutional uh, project, whether it's Facebook or, uh, you know, backed or things like that uh, are, are going to be up against.
0: Well, so, yeah, why don't you dive into a little bit, like maybe let's talk about Libra, since I feel like that's kind of the one that has uh, the most mind share out in like the mainstream world. Um, (laughs) What's your take on kind of how that will play out and what impact it will have on crypto?
2: I don't have a strong feeling on how it will play out, I I guess, other than, um, you know, I, I'm skeptical that it's going to be very meaningful in the long run. I guess so, look, I, I understand why uh, there you know people are excited about it. I mean, Facebook has several billion users, and the idea of putting crypto in the hands of you know billions of Facebook users is very exciting. The, the, you know, we could get into the uh, you know the tactics of kind of why um, I think there's there's a lot of hurdles to what they're doing. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, how I think about this is, you know, the the, uh, the, the best crypto minds are not uh, going to work at Facebook to work on a cryptocurrency initiative, right? They're, uh, you know, they're doing their own thing. Um, and, uh, you know, economic incentives have a lot to do with that. And um, so, you know, I think clearly, um, you know, Zuckerberg's talking about it, and it is top of mind uh, in, in some sense from from the very top at Facebook. But I'm just uh, deeply skeptical that they're going to pull something, uh, you know, really meaningful long run off. And, and if you look at you know most of their materials, um, you know, a lot of it is kind of uh, very uh, much a, a derivative of um, you know ethereum and kind of existing crypto projects and so and you know the, the the whole concept of libra to me um kind of feels like a a poor man's uh, maker doubt um so i i uh yeah i you know happy to dive into specifics but the, i guess the, that that's my general sentiment on on libra
0: all right. Well, why don't we dive into deeper details in a moment? Um, but first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. eToro gives you access to the most popular crypto assets on the market, and its virtual trading and discussion features let you discuss and test trading strategies with a community of over 11 million other traders. And headline news, they have officially launched in the USA eToro offers the smartest trading tools and the ability to connect with the best traders around the world. Their trading fees are transparent and exceedingly low too, and it's available in one easy to use app. Get started at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O.com and build your crypto portfolio the smart way today.
1: Will the world follow France and advocate banning privacy coins? Will government-backed stablecoins become the new fiat? Are distributed and peer-to-peer exchanges just a flash in the pan? The answer is maybe. Virtual currencies can flourish and create a new, private, and more versatile economy. But that grand vision can't happen without keeping crypto clean. And that requires support of governments and accountability for bad actors. Privacy-enhanced compliance using cryptographic controls has the potential to preserve anonymity without compromising legitimate investigations. CypherTrace is working on this vision of the future. Sign up to stay up to date on the Privacy-enhanced Compliance Initiative and receive authoritative crypto AML reports quarterly. wwwciphertracecom slash keepcryptoclean Back to my conversation with Nick
0: Tamino. So if you're, you know, not uh, thinking that Libra will end up being super impactful, then, you know, what do you think will kind of be maybe the the really big way that people end up using this technology, uh, like in a more mainstream fashion?
2: So I think... You know, in 2019, there's one clear use case for crypto, which is speculation, and that's arguably now, you know, a mainstream use case. And I think, you know, there's going to be ebbs and flows, but it's likely that we're still in kind of the, uh, you know, the real, relatively early innings of that use case. Um, and, and so, you know, that's uh, my, my base assumption is that um, speculation is going to continue to grow as a use case in crypto, Uh, There's a lot of people out there that say, well, look, you know, the speculation is all a bubble and, you know, there's got to be real use cases beyond speculation underlying it. But I think that's a very kind of U.S.-centric view of the world. And if you, uh, you know, look at a whole bunch of countries around the world, you spend time in those places, you realize that, you know, there are people in those countries that, uh, you know, may not have the ability to invest in public market equities like we do in the U.S. or may not even have – you know, uh, bank accounts, um, and so uh, you know, crypto very much represents a uh, you know a new uh, investable opportunity for a lot of people in the world, and I think that use case is going to grow beyond speculation. Uh, my uh, kind of gut is that uh, the next potentially really interesting mainstream use case uh, could be saving, and um, you know, saving meaning. You know, in interest bearing uh, accounts in crypto. And, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, negative interest rates policies around the world, um, and even in the U.S., if you, you know, if you, if you have $10,000 in, in a savings account, you can get maybe 2% on that right now. Um, and, and we're starting to see, uh, products, um, uh, on, on top of Ethereum that are, are, you know, giving Uh, better savings opportunities to people. And of course, it's still very early. It's unclear where the rates will, uh, you know, end up long term. And there's, you know, challenges to, for people to get into crypto still. But I'm very excited about, um, you know, things like Compound and, and DYDX and Uniswap that are giving people around the world Uh, New uh, savings opportunities and 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 kind of interest-bearing savings opportunities. So that's that's a a use case that I think is, you know, could be, um, you know, the next catalyst to get, uh, you know, millions of users into crypto.
0: Yeah, I you know agree with you that uh, all those projects are pretty interesting. I've actually had them all on either unchained or unconfirmed. So I'll link to those in the show notes. But so that in general sounds like maybe DeFi is what's interesting to you. And so aside from like maybe the savings use case, are there any other um, trends in DeFi that uh, have piqued your interest? Uh,
2: Sure. I mean, uh, savings is... um in some sense, um, on the back of stable coins. Right. And, um, uh, you know, like for fun one, we made some uh, early bets in, in stable coins. Um, and that was really a big focus for us. It continues to be, I mean, uh, the need for stable coins, uh, just kind of continues to, uh, to grow. And, um, and I think if you look at, uh, it's no secret maker Dow is, uh, you know, the most successful, um, in, in many ways, um, projects on top of Ethereum. So, um, you know, to, to now me, Tether,
0: is, <laughs> Tether on Ethereum is now taking off.
2: True, true. Um, though I know Tether is on technically on Ethereum, but, um, yeah, D, no one in DeFi uses Tether. So I, I, and I've never, you know, I, I get back to, you know, how I think about the world and maybe this is too narrow, but it, it's kind of, I think it's like, uh, do I use the products? Um, and Tether is something that I've never used. Um, Tether to me is kind of this, uh, you know, stablecoin that's used by traders um, on different exchanges and things like that. But um, yeah, Tether to me is not really DeFi.
0: You mean like it's not used on chain is that what you mean?
2: Exactly, exactly. Like if you look at um, you know decentralized exchanges and you know the uh, you know Tether, I think is is like the uh, the, the trading pair used on um, on uh, centralized exchanges like Binance and, and others. But uh, if you look at kind of on chain DeFi um, decentralized exchanges, um, you know I don't I don't believe I could be wrong on this, but I don't think uh, you know I don't think you'll see. Uh, tether high up the list. It's it's you know it's die and it's USDC.
0: What are you? What's your feeling about Ethereum scaling issues? Do you worry that that could drive developers off into other crypto networks?
2: It's all. It's it's definitely a long term concern. Though I think you know my view is right now um, Ethereum is working really well for high dollar value, low throughput type transactions, DeFi really, right? So, um, and there are, uh, you know, solutions uh, that come before uh, ETH 2.0 that um, can give you, uh, you know, some, you know, scaling, right? And, and it maybe it's it's 5X or 10X and not 1000X, but uh, to me, uh, you know, the fact that uh, transaction fees on Ethereum surpassed Bitcoin and, you know, people are actually paying higher fees right now for Ethereum transactions is, is a really good sign. And I think there are a lot of, uh, you know, tweaks to be made, like in, in increasing the gas limit size and, you know, implementing some layer zero uh, solutions uh, such as blocks route that can get you, you know, relatively soon without, you know, these major protocol changes um, you know, five x or ten x, right? So, I right.
0: Although I did, I did see this week that I guess there were, um, because of like a scaling bottleneck, there was uh, there were. Th- I, I guess that th- there was some point where the ETH price fell or something, and there was like a bunch of liquidations in MakerDAO CDPs, and they uh, didn't go through kind of at the time that you would expect. And so, I feel like that does cause some risk. I saw somebody tweeting about that. I'll put that in the show notes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, uh, I actually didn't see that, but uh, that's that's interesting. Um, it doesn't really surprise me. I think it, clearly, uh, you know, like anyone that's used Ethereum in the past week or so recognizes that there's uh, there, there's been a bottleneck. Um, and you know, like I, uh, you know, I did an Ethereum transaction the other day and paid uh, twelve dollars, uh, you know, for a fee. Um, and so, but but what I'm saying is there are you know, ways to get, uh, you know, 10 X say, um, without, you know, major changes like 2.0. Right. And, and particularly, I mean, increasing the gas limit, um, uh, which miners are starting to do. And I think that could continue and, um, you know, increasing the, 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 the gas limit that comes with some trade-offs that, uh, you know, you need to consider and things like that. So it's not quite that easy, but, I'm, um, I guess, you know, long-winded way of saying my view is that uh, DeFi, high-dollar value, low-throughput stuff on Ethereum is working pretty well right now. But I think clearly for uh, use cases beyond that, such as uh, you know, social networking apps or um, gaming apps or identity stuff or you know, anything that requires kind of low-dollar value but high throughput, um, you know, Ethereum as it currently stands can't support that right so and that's obviously um you know a driving force behind why there's been such a big emphasis on e2.0 which you know i would say i'm cautiously optimistic on that um you know early 2020 we could start seeing some of the you know the fruits of of all the work that's be- being done there but i also think there is uh, o- an opportunity for uh, other chains um, to capture some of those use cases that uh, that Ethereum isn't right now, um, and we've you know we've invested in a few of those. I would say I think that's clearly been a uh, you know next gen blockchains has been kind of this meme that uh, a lot of projects have just kind of way over marketed, uh, and there's a lot of really bad projects that raised a lot of money uh, from that meme. Um, but I think uh, there are as you know, as, as is the case with most memes, um, you know, they tend to get abused, but there is some kind of, uh, you know, interesting stuff there too. And, and that's projects, you know, the, the two in particular that we've invested in are, are Cosmos and Polkadot, which I think, um, you know, by my estimation are, are, are kind of the best, uh, you know, the best combination of kind of this strong community and ethos combined with, um, you know, strong technology. And I think, you know, in order to um, to really, uh, you know, capture any of these use cases that we're talking about, I think you need both.
0: And out of curiosity, um, for both of those, obviously, you would have the choice of investing either in the company such as Parity uh, versus the network Polkadot or the company Tendermint versus the network Cosmos. So how do you decide which one to do and which did you do?
2: Uh, yeah, so in the case of of, uh, you know, the Cosmos network, we invested both in, uh, the company, uh, Tendermint behind, uh, you know, the, the project, um, and the token in the case of, uh, you know, Atoms, and, and in the case of, uh, Polkadot, we just invested in dots. So, um, you know, I think there's a, a, a whole a variety of considerations there. Um, at the end of the day though, I think, you know, What's most important is, is again, like incentive alignment. If, you know, how we think about it is we don't really care if we're investing in a company or a token. Um, we want kind of pure incentive alignment with uh, the founders that are building uh, the project. And I think, you know, clearly 2017, there was way too much focus on tokens um, because it became this really hot thing and you could raise a lot of money with. And in many cases, you know, there wasn't pure incentive alignment with the investors and the founders and that got into trouble. But I think as, you know, how I think about, uh, you know, early stage investing is, um, you know, if you could be, you're, you're going to have success if you can align yourself from an incentive perspective with, uh, with great founders. Um, and that's, you know, really how I think about it.
0: All right. Well, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Sure.
2: That, that felt quick, but, uh, yeah, great to be on and (laughs) Yeah talk to you
0: soon. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Factual Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Rich Truffolino, and Josh Durham. Thanks for listening.